0: All right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Happy Easter. He is risen. Three for three. You guys nailed all of those. Awesome. Um, before we jump in, um, everything Jeff said is true. I talk a lot. So um, if, you, if you want to come say hi to me, I'll probably tell you a lot of stories about my life. But it's lots of fun. There's something... Um, has anyone ever told you you're too old for an egg hunt? I, I am. People have told me I'm too old for an egg hunt, and I thought no one's too old for an egg hunt, so we're going to have one right now. Underneath one chair in this room somewhere, I actually don't even know where it is because I had um, an assistant hide it. Underneath a chair, taped underneath a chair, is an egg. Will you guys reach under your chair, and if there's no one next to you, scavenge the chairs next to you. There's an egg somewhere. It's a golden egg. Hey, we have the golden egg over there. You're never too old for an egg hunt. See me after service. I have a $25 Amazon card for you. Just the thanks for coming today. Lots of fun. Yeah, no one's ever too old for an egg hunt, right? Right. Well, happy Easter, everybody. If you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, uh, we're gonna sh- we're gonna read from there and talk this morning. We're gonna um, finish up. We'd started a series called um, Passion. It wasn't the nails. And we're going to continue and finish that up today. But I mean, what, what a great day Easter is, right? I mean, churches all over the world come together. And what's funny is if, if you've been to church before on Easter or, or you go to church on a regular basis, you pretty much know what the story is going to be on Easter. Now, Easter Sunday is the day that we, re- we, we talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And, and we celebrate the fact that that tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. And this, this is not a, a new story, but in all reality, this is the most powerful story. This is, this is an amazing thing because it is the ultimate miracle that saved us from our, from our sins and saved us from ourselves and the world. We get to celebrate he's alive. The tomb is empty. He rose just like he said he would. And there's an excitement that, that goes around the globe and in this room today as churches worldwide are celebrating this. Now, something we, we talk about with, with this passion series is the word love. We talk about love, how, how love takes all forms of uh, shapes and sizes, and, and it can be easy to do, but, but we all know people that are hard to love, Right? if you're a parent, you probably have people in your home that are hard to love sometimes. Right, th- th- this happens. Um, I, have, I have two girls, Aurora and Avery, 11 and six, going on 17 and 16, that's how it feels. But, but we, we talk about how so often loving others can be a tough business. For example, uh, my kids are generally happy kids. They love to laugh. They've, they've inherited, unfortunately, my gift of sarcasm. And, and they're both really quick-witted, and it, it, can, it bites me and it, it's all the time. They get me. But Aurora, for, the, for example, she's always happy and, and just loves the world and loves people. She, she's the girl at school where when she goes, they're not friends with this person, but I'm friends with both of them, and they told me not to be friends, but I don't care because they're all my friends. That's just Aurora's mentality. She loves the world. Except yesterday. Oh, not yesterday. Sorry, Friday. Friday morning, we're getting ready for school. She comes downstairs, and she's listening to a podcast, something about teachers sharing funny stories in class. And my wife and I are being our normal, goofy selves, and we're listening to old-school Christian music, and we're blasting it through the house. And she tells us to turn down our music so she can hear her podcast. So what do we do? We turn it up. We do that this is not a new thing. But on Friday, it was a bad thing. Aurora had a meltdown. She had a moment where she got mad. And I used my superior dad skills to not read the room correctly. And she was really upset. And I kept poking and poking. And then she burst into tears. And then she got mad. Just leave me alone, the, the great you know, teenage line. She's not even a teenager, but she shot that out there. And so then I'm starting to feel a little bad, but now I'm also angry. It's like, you can't get angry at me. We do this all the time. And so then I was like, Aurora, come here. And she came over and she's in tears. She's like, what's wrong? I don't know. Just leave me alone. So then I reached out to hug her and she gave me like that limp noodle. Mm. <laughs> just like, I was like, give me a hug. I am hugging you. It's like, okay. So in that moment, it's like, you know, I don't know if I love you right now, Aurora. This is, this is one of those moments. And Avery is just singing her own songs dancing through the house. But then there's moments where, of course, you're like, this is why I love my kids. A few weeks ago, um, sickness went through our house. It was really, really nasty stomach virus, and it hit the whole house at the same time. Avery rebounded, my, my six-year-old, rebounded quicker than everybody else, and I'm, I'm in bed feeling miserable, and, and both my girls came up. They are like, Dad, we brought you stuff to make you feel better. Here's a stuffed animal. Here's a pillow. Here's this, and it was like, I love my kids. So loving people is a tough business. The question we ask in the series, though, is is it harder to love people who don't love you Or is it that you don't love? Or is it harder to love people that are actively working against you in your life? If there's someone who is making efforts to bring you down, to speak out against you, to share horrible things, is it hard to love those people? I think the obvious answer is yes, right? But that's the, the love of God that comes in. There are people that work against him. Sometimes we work against him. Sometimes on purpose, sometimes we make a mistake. In those moments, he still loves us. He still loves us and that never stops. If our love for others was, was based on emotions and it, would, and it would change based on circumstance, that would be a conditional love, right? But I love that what, what God models for us and what he ultimately modeled on this Easter Sunday was an unconditional, unstoppable, incredible love. One that nothing could ever change. And some points that we've talked about that I wanna just highlight for, for everybody here. God loves us, to show the power of God's love, God loves us even when it's unreciprocated. Even when we don't give it back, he still loves us. God loves us when we're nasty, when we're rude, when we're mean. We've all been there, right? We've all done it. God still loves us. God loves us even when he's not getting anything out of the relationship. He still loves you. And this, this love, this, this amazing, unstoppable love was modeled in the sacrifice of him dying on the cross. And even stronger when he beat death and rose from the dead. And he did this so that we all may believe, that we all may come to know him and have eternal life. He humbled himself and became obedient to the will of his father. And this obedience led Jesus to an ultimate, humiliating, horrible death on the cross. But we're not here today because he stayed dead on that cross or he stayed buried in that tomb. We're here today because that tomb is empty. Because he came for each and every one of us and he showed that death has no sting. Death could not hold him down. I'm so thankful that the, the death on the cross was not the end of the story. It was just the, the comma in the grand love story of God. That there's so much more that in Scripture. There's so much more even that happens in the world today to show his love for us and his power for us, that he, that he wants to show through us and through his people. I'm here to tell you today that no matter what you may think about the world, nothing is as strong as Jesus. Nothing is as strong as his love. His love is, po- is full. It's passionate, it's perfect, and it is 100% flawless and unstoppable. So if you turn your Bibles to Luke 24, a little background. We're going to start in verse 6, but a little background before we we read this verse. All four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all all tell the crucifixion and the resurrection story. They're all in there. And, And today I want to read for you some words that were spoken just after he had been resurrected. Some of the women who had been following Jesus, they went to the tomb. Uh, They followed him when he was alive. They went to his tomb on this first Easter morning expecting to find a body, expecting to to, to pay some respects and, and make it smell nice because that's not a nice smelling place where bodies are. But instead, they go there. The tomb is not closed. The tomb is empty and Jesus is gone. Instead, there's two men in robes and they say these profound words. Luke 24, verses six and seven. They say, he is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified on the third day, be raised again. This is great news, right? This is the best news you could hope for. He's not there in the tomb anymore. Not the grave, not death, nothing could stop him. We see all throughout scripture and even post-scripture today in our lives, God models a pure, unstoppable love. A pure, unstoppable love. Think back to all the things now. If you look through the life of Jesus, what tried to stop him? Because there were quite a few obstacles that he had to overcome that, that got in his way, right? The devil tried to stop him in the desert with temptation. Tried to derail him right off the beginning. Right, to start his ministry, the devil says, all right, I'm here and I'm gonna distract you. The devil couldn't do it. The religious leaders that followed him and taunted him, they eventually turned him in and tried to stop him with false claims of blasphemy and crime. They couldn't stop him. The soldiers who crucified him, they tried to stop him with a crown of thorns, a whip, a cat of nine tails that ripped the flesh from his body, a beating that even the worst criminals didn't all receive. They couldn't stop him. The crowds tried to stop him with mocking, with taunting, spitting and shouting, telling him, prove it, just get off. If you really are the son of God, just get off. The taunting, the shouting, the spitting couldn't stop him the nails in his hands and his feet on the cross they tried to stop him by fixing him to a symbol of humiliation a symbol of defeat a symbol of embarrassment a symbol of crime but that couldn't stop him because on his resurrection jesus showed that that symbol now meant victory that symbol now meant restoration jesus had overcome death 1 corinthians 15:55 paul says this he says where o death is your victory where o death is your sting if you really look at that verse, that's a powerful line because we, we all look at death as the ultimate end game, right? Something that we'll all face in life, and that's something we we don't like, we don't like looking at our mortality. Or if you, you know a loved one who's passed away, it stings. It hurts. I know there have been a lot of people recently, even in our, our church family here, that have lost a lot of loved ones recently, and it, it's it's painful. So for Paul to say, where is your victory? Where is your sting? That is such a verse to bring so much hope because we know that is not the end game for us because of Jesus' unstoppable love. And chances are, if in your life right now, if you allow it to, there's gonna be something that distracts you from following Jesus, something that, that tries to get you to look away from this love that he models so perfectly. Maybe it's something that has, uh, for some time now, acted as a minor distraction. Maybe it's a big distraction. There may be some of us in here that have been lied to so much about ourselves because of what people have said or maybe something we've said to ourselves that that we start believing those lies are true. We we start believing all these things that that really have no power of us but we let them have power of us. Lies that say you're not enough. A a lie that says you're not worth it. Jesus did not do it for you because you don't deserve it. Maybe a lie that says you're all alone. Whatever you're going through in life, nobody cares Keep it to yourself. We don't care. You're not worth it. We all face lies. Maybe, maybe for some people it's something different. Maybe there's a repetitive sin that, that you're going through. Something that you keep falling back into. You say, I, I just can't get away from, from this, whether it's, whether it's dishonesty or lies. Maybe it's, it's pornography. Maybe it's stealing. May, maybe it's something along a, a, a deeper scale. Maybe, maybe it's, it's adultery. There's something big that's in your life right now that you're saying, man, this is something I'm wrestling with, and I keep falling into this. And I repeat it over and over again, big or small. You just keep falling back into it. Song of Solomon 2.14 calls it the little fox that comes to spoil the vine something that's just little, but it can ruin something so big. Either way, no matter what it is, we all go through different things. We all go through different distractions, different sins that, that resonate in our lives. I, I, I sin in some ways, and that may be different than the ways that you sin, but we, that's like the common denominator, right? We are human. We all mess up, and it's going to be different for everybody, but the world is full of distractions. And as we talked about last week, It's what we want to make sure we're doing. We want to make sure that instead of focusing and gazing on our distraction, focusing on something that's going to pull us away, we don't just focus on those. We look away from those and we focus on the cross. We focus on Jesus. We don't want to live our life glancing at Jesus. We want to make sure he is our focus. He is our focus. And at times when we mess up, we know, hey, I glanced away, I looked away, but the power of his love is so good that we can look right back and he's right there every single time. Although numerous things can act as temporary setbacks, the truth is no setback can negate God's love for you. No setback can ever pull you away from him. No setback can ever be too big where he says, you know what, you had your chance, I'm done with you now. I I don't want it anymore. Every time we come back, God says, I will receive you every single time. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says this, for I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh man, when you, when you, when you, when you hear those words, you can then put in perspective all the stuff that you've done, all the stuff that I've done, the stuff that, that we have done, stuff that, that's happened to you. You can say, wow, if the worst I've done cannot separate me from God, then what am I afraid of? I get to go to him knowing that no matter what I've done, he will take me back. He was right there offering his love, his unstoppable love. There is nothing that can separate us from God's love. This should allow us to live that freedom in in life, right? This should allow us to to go full force and say, God, nothing can stop us. Nothing can stop you, and I'm on your team. And you have that, that person that carries the whole team, right? We all know Griffey. I mean, I'm... I'm from the Bay Area, so you know Barry Bonds was my, my Griffey down for the Giants. But, but still, you had the guy that carried the team. Neither of them got it done, but they were the ones carrying their team. You have a guy here who not only carries the team, but gets it done. God has it. He has your back, and he will carry you every step of the way. This should allow us to, to live that free life. We don't have to worry or stress about the burden of sin. We don't have to worry or stress about the, the weight that may come down on us, because he's already relieved that weight. His resurrection means it does not have power over you anymore. You get to live freely in Christ because of the high price that he paid. And you think that is a high price. Scripture says the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we deserve to die, but Jesus paid that high price. He said, I will take this off of you. I will reconcile you with God and pay this. So now what? what does that mean? If his love is unstoppable and perfect, what does this mean for us? What do we do? What steps do we take? And scripture lays this out. The first thing it says, says if we want to come to Christ, we say, Jesus, I'm I'm yours. What do I have to do? The first thing we do is we have to die to sin. We have to die to sin. For for us, I I believe we got to take Christ's model and, and, and die for the things that die for the things that could separate us from him. What this means is we need to to turn away from it and push it as far as the east is from the west. We say, I'm gonna separate my old life and I'm gonna come to you with a new life. I'm leaving my old behind. I am fully new in you. But the trouble is, for some of us here, we say, but what does that look like? How, How do I die to sin? I know it's not physically dying, so what does this look like? Now, I thought I'd bring something a little fun in. I have an ancient piece of technology here. This is an iPod touch. 2008, right? This is for those of us who couldn't afford the iPhone at the time, but we still wanted all the cool things to to listen to our music. And, and unfortunately, I mean, I've had this since 2008. It's like dead. This thing doesn't hold much of a charge, and it it doesn't do hardly anything. If it doesn't do anything at all, if it's dead, right? It's just a paperweight. But remember those old school chargers? If I plug this thing in. I should have tested this out at home first, honestly. If I plug this thing in, oh, viola, there we go. Now I have power. But it, it's so dead that the minute I disconnect it, it's gone. There is nothing in here. But if I plug this in for some time and, and I let it charge, I can do all sorts of things on this, which, which, is, which is funny, right? I can, I can surf the web. I can go on social media. I could, uh, I could actually, this has Netflix on it. I could watch a movie on this screen. But, but there, there's so much you can do with this when it has power. Sin can do a lot in your life if you give it power. If you give into it. If you decide, I'm going to plug into this right now. I'm going to let this just charge in my life. It's not just a little thing. It's a big deal. And it can cause some major problems if we give it power. But being dead to sin is saying, I'm disconnecting myself from that old way of life. I'm done with it. And then when you disconnect yourself, it's useless. It's got nothing over you. So to die to sin is to say, I'm disconnecting myself from that sin. I'm no longer associating myself with it. I am moving as far as the east is from the west. I am unplugged from that. And then if you flip this around and say, now this isn't sin, this is God instead, right? Then you plug yourself into it and you say, wow, when I'm connected to God, I've got some power. I'm connected to the Holy Spirit. He is living in me. I can do so much because I am now disconnected from the world and connected to him. That's what it means to die to sin. We need to make sure we are not connected to it anymore. Remove it as far as you can. Ultimately, we decide we're no longer living to satisfy or gratify the desires of our flesh. We are new creations in Christ. We're learning to conform to his perfect and good, amazing will. Living for Jesus means we're not living for the world. The world has no power. It is no longer our focus. And Let's face it, living for the world, it's an easy thing to do. There's so many amazing things that we we start giving all of our focus to. They become idols, right? But living for God says he is the only one. The the worldly things don't matter in comparison with our life with God. And when we, we die to sin, we're declaring by the power of Jesus' name and cleansing of his blood that we are free from that old life. We are free from sin, free from its bondage, free from its weight because it is dead to us. We're declaring that Jesus rules. He is Lord, not the sin, not the world. Jesus is Lord, and he already conquered it. Romans eight twelve to fifteen says therefore brothers and sisters we have an obligation but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. it for if you live according to the flesh you will die but if you die by the but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body you will live for those of you who are led by the spirit of God and are the children of God for the the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Maybe this Easter will be the first time that you decide, you know I'm going to resist this urge to sin. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to, I'm going to show that I'm his creation in a brand new way. Even the temptation is extremely strong. You say, I don't know how I can, I can sever this. Like I've been, I've been so engulfed in this. I've been so consumed by this in my life. I just don't know how to turn away so fast. I don't know how I can just flip a, flip a switch. But the great thing is that 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, the Holy Spirit living within you provides a way out. The power of God provides that way. No matter how strong the temptation is, he is stronger. And his love is more powerful. So if we die to our sin, we trust that the, the work of the Holy Spirit is in us, that, that Jesus rose from the dead, that he is here, then what do we do? We know he's not dead. The grave wasn't able to hold him. If we receive this, this love and grace and forgiveness and we die to sin, what do we do today now? <clears throat> After we die to sin, you say, Now that I'm dead to sin, I will live for Christ. Now that I'm dead to sin, I will live for Christ. And this is the challenge for us as believers. This is this is where we really gotta put, you know, we gotta we gotta walk the walk, we gotta you gotta actually do it, right? You, you can't just say, yes. I'm a Christian. What does that mean? I go to church on Sunday. Right? It's so much more than that. You're actually living for Jesus. You're putting action into what you're saying you're doing. The challenge for us is to learn how to live like him every day. And Luke, we're reminded this in Luke nine twenty three. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, up his cro- take up his cross daily and follow me. Know that it's a daily thing. Every day we'll have opportunity to be distracted. Every day we'll have a moment where we say I'm focusing on you. Oh, squirrel. You know, you you go that way. I resonated with that movie so much, right? But every day we'll hit those points. It may seem like a simple simple statement, but it doesn't involve just words. This involves action. Living for Christ is a very real action, very real steps, as indicated by this passage in Luke. James 1.22 also says this: Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. We say that to our kids all the time, right? Did you hear me? Yeah, because you're not doing it. It's it's a common thing, right? I figure sometimes God's saying the same thing. Did you hear what I said? You read my words? Yeah? Well, it's time to do it. (laughs) It's time to to start walking this walk, right? Go do something about it. The Bible is meant to to act as our guide. There There is so much in this book for what we go through. So much of, of questions that we may have. God, how do I handle this situation? How do I navigate the, these feelings? And the great thing is, this book has answers. But we've got to read it. We've got to study it. And we, then, after we read it and study it, we've got to do it. Actually do it and put, put, your, put your feet where your mouth is. Actually walk this thing out. The Bible gives us amazing insight. It, see, it shows us community. It shows us relationships, and it shows us love. There's a great and powerful instruction through all the Bible. The scriptures aren't meant to stop it at divine instruction. They're meant to inspire us to abundant, faithful living. John 10.10 says this, The thief comes only to st- kill and dest- steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. God's desire is that that we experience this abundant life through his powerful sacrifice, through his unstoppable and perfect love of the son Jesus. And this is a stark contrast to the one who says, I don't want you to have life. I want to distract you. I want to steal, kill, and destroy. You couldn't be more opposite of what God wants for you. And if you had to choose a path to walk down, hmm, someone who's going to steal, kill, and destroy me, someone who will love me unconditionally and has plans for me that are awesome, it's really not a hard decision, right? But every day we make decisions that go the other way. We've got to make sure we're studying God's word. We're understanding how great his love was for us and choosing that each and every time. The enemy of your soul wants to distract you. He is the most heinous scrooge and thief who's ever existed, but he's nothing compared to the power of God's love. And why Jesus? Why would why would we say there are lots of things in life that could offer me, you know. Just, yes, steal, kill, destroy, but there's a lot of other things that aren't Jesus that don't steal, kill, destroy. So why would I choose Jesus? Why would I say he's the answer? He's the one I should go for. And I'll tell you, because nothing else has the power he has or did what he did. Nothing else could have taken the punishment for your sins and wiped them out clean. No one else could have got on that cross with the nails and the mocking, and got on that cross willingly stayed there and paid for your sins and turned that symbol from ultimate humility or um, humiliation and defeat and death and turned it to a symbol of victory. No one else could have done that. No one else could have got buried in a tomb and then three days later had the stone rolled aside and said, I'm back. That's why we choose Jesus. Nothing else in the world can do that for you. No one else in the world can do that for you. So yeah, there may be other things that you say, this, this, doesn't steal, kill, destroy, but nothing else does what he did. And nothing can replace what he did. When we decide to live for Christ, when we decide that he's Lord and we submit to him, know that, that you are choosing the best love out there. But what this does not mean, this does not mean that suddenly everything falls into place in life and you have money pouring out your ears and you can buy your car and your house and oh man, that, that new phone you want, just everything. Your kids will say they love you every day. They'll make themselves lunch. They'll put themselves to bed, right? It doesn't happen that way. But it does mean, but it does mean that your heart will start to align with God's heart. It does mean that you'll know that even in your darkest times, even your hardest times, you are never alone. It does mean that you will start to be full of the things that God is full of. It does mean that your heart will break for the things that breaks hearts. God, breaks God's heart. And it does mean that you will see the purpose he has for you, and that is better than any other purpose anyone or anything could have for you. And th- this experience, the, we call this going from death to life, knowing that you are dead to the world and alive in Christ. It's one that I know I can personally attest to. I was a teen at church camp one year, and some backstory on me um, I, I grew up in a church home. My dad was a pastor, my grandpa was the pastor of the church that I actually worked at for a number of years in California. So I, I'm, a, I'm a third generation pastor that does not mean I was always following Jesus. I had a lot of head knowledge, but I did not always do what God wanted me to do. I wouldn't even say that I was really living for Jesus. If if I really looked at my life, I was living a Dustin filled life. What I wanted to do, what I wanted, but it was at camp one year that God really got a hold of my heart. I remember listening to worship and and the the speaker was talking all about really giving God everything. And I started evaluating during worship just my own life. What are my priorities? What do I want? What am I doing? And everything focused back to me, 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 me. I had all the head knowledge. You know, like I said, grandpa was a pastor. Dad was a pastor. I went to church every Sunday. I knew all the answers. I was the kid people got upset with in Sunday school because I knew all the answers, got all the candy, answered everything right. But that doesn't mean I was living it. I had my goals, I had my ambition. And not that having goals or ambitions are bad, but they were all me focused and God wasn't a part of any of it. That year at camp while worshiping and playing, I felt like God gave me a haymaker. Felt like God really grabbed me and shook me and hit me and was like, Dustin, what are you doing? What are you doing? I know that you say you know me, but you're not living like you know me. You haven't really given yourself to me. I've got so much for you, I have plans for you. Dustin, you gave me your head. I want your heart. And I remember just breaking in that moment. And I decided, God, I'm going to give you my heart. God, I'm, I'm all in. I gave it to him, and I decided I would hold nothing back. I was all in on seeing what he wanted for me, where, where he was going to take me. And I gave up a multi-million dollar baseball career for this, right? <laughs> but there was a shift in my life. Sports were no longer the focus. Sports and, and what I wanted was no longer the focus. I said, all right, God, if I'm all in, what am I going to do? And I I remember him saying, I want you to put sports on the back burner. Focus on me instead. And that started my career in ministry. I went back and I I talked to our pastor and I said, I don't know what God wants for me, but I know I'm supposed to talk to you and start just figuring things out. Make him priority first. And that led to initially me being a children's pastor for 13 years. And I loved it. God made a pastor out of me and I have zero regrets with what he's done. In my life, I've witnessed what God can do with people that are far away from him. I witnessed it personally with me when I was far from him, what he can do in my life. I wanted things my way. He wanted things his way. His way was the best way. The good news is that in the midst of all the things I tried to put in God's way, and every every obstacle I threw in the way where I was saying, I'm gonna do this for me. I'm gonna do this for me. God, you don't have a part of this. This is what I want. He still found me, and he still loved me. In the midst of my me life, He still loves me. God's love in all reality is greater than anything else. God's love is greater than, you can put anything else in that blank next to that you want. God's love is greater than that. It is greater. How many times have you experienced something and said, this is the greatest moment of my life? Anybody here ever said that phrase before, right? This is the greatest moment of my life. I've done it so many times. Remember when I was playing baseball, I remember when I hit my first home run, I literally, I, I crossed home plate. My dad was one of the coaches, jumped into his arms, and I said that. I said, this is the greatest moment of my life. It was only like in the fifth grade, but still, it's the greatest moment of my life. I remember when I played football, sacking the quarterback and picking up the fumble that won the game. I, I, I did it, and I was like, this is the greatest moment of my life. My wedding day. Absolutely, looking at my bride coming down the aisle towards me. It's is the greatest day of my life. My kids being born, my kids being born, in that moment, holding my daughter for the first time. It's like, this is the greatest greatest moment of my life. Now she's 11, I don't know anymore, but you know. (laughs) But I had that, like, it's the greatest moment of my life. We all have these moments in our life where we can look back and say multiple times maybe, this is the greatest moment of my life. These are all big moments that we can measure, right? Our life, think of it now. God's love is greater than every single one of those moments. As a matter of fact, I can look back now and say, what's the greatest moment of my life? The moment I decided God was in charge. That is the greatest moment of my life. Nothing else would have played out the way it has had I not come to that moment and said, God, I'm giving myself to you. That's the greatest moment. Psalm 63.3, it says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Think about that. Your love is greater than life. Anything we can experience, anything we can tangibly measure in any way, shape, or form, God's love is greater than that. His love is the definition of unstoppable, the definition of unconquerable and unyielding. And, and my story is just one of dozens of stories throughout this room where, you can, where people could say, this is what happened when I gave my life to Christ. This is what happened when I experienced the unstoppable love of God. When I decided in that moment that that resurrection was real, that he walked out of that grave, that he died for me and he rose again, and he is not dead, he is here today. When I made that decision, Everything changed. There are so many stories here. And, and if you have a story, no matter what it may be on how you came to Jesus, I would love to hear it. I personally would love to hear it. And I can guarantee there are those around you that would love to hear it as well. Because everybody's here, every person here has a different story. And every story is a testimony of what God can do to a lost heart. Every single one. Easter Sunday is a, a special time for us to celebrate this, this collective freedom we have in Jesus, this freedom we have to, to uh, recognize what he's done for us, a day to recognize individual testimonies, celebrate and commemorate all that he's brought us through as individuals, as a church, and as a community. And as we've learned through this series, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was fueled by first and foremost his love for us. His love fueled everything. He was humble, he was obedient, And his love was perfected over 2,000 years ago on that cross when he rose again. As believers, the empty tomb is where we find the fullness of life. The empty tomb is where we find the fullness of life. For some people in here today, there, there may be simply, maybe you're saying, my life right now is empty. For some of us in here today, maybe you haven't, re- you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, or you say, I'm, I'm still trying to test the waters on this thing, and, and I want to I invite you right now to say, you know what? This is the most filling decision you can ever make because Jesus fills holes that nothing else in the world can fill. Jesus fills life and gives life the way nothing else can. And if you're honest with yourself today, the unconditional love that we've described here today could be just the thing that you're missing. That one piece that you say, this fits in, now it makes sense now it makes sense. The good news is, the greatest news, is that this experience I described, the one I described about having an empty heart, that doesn't have to continue past today. Today could be the last day of your empty life. Today could be the last day where you say, this is the last day I didn't have Jesus, because it starts right now. And the great news is, no matter how far you may feel like you've walked away from Jesus, if you say, this is the first time I've been to church in a decade, or the first time I've been to church all year, no matter how far, no matter what you've done, Jesus is still right there for you. He's still right there waiting for you to turn around and say, here I am. Jesus, take me. I'd like to invite the worship team up this morning as we get ready to close. But if, if that resonates with you in some way, shape, or form today, if you're, if you're here saying, you know what, I, I haven't received Jesus. I, I, I want this. There's something missing. I've been living for me, a, a me life, and God, I, I want you to fill it. I want to invite you to pray with me today as we, as we close out service. I want you to, to invite Jesus in and know that no matter how far you may feel, that doesn't mean God has moved further away from you. If you've been on a 20 year adventure away from God, that does not mean you got to take a, a Jesus Express train back. You got to take the, I just say, I got to go as fast as I can to get back to where I left him. He's right there. He is right there. He is waiting for you to turn around and say, I want you. Because you know what? He's already right there saying, I want you. Give Jesus your heart. There's nothing better. There's nothing better than the love of God. There's nothing better than welcoming new believers, especially on Easter Sunday. So I want to, I'd want i like to invite you all to stand with me as we come to a close this morning. I'm gonna pray for us. And if, if this is you, just repeat this prayer as I say it. Welcoming Jesus into your heart. And if you've already received Jesus, commit today to saying, this is not a day that I'm gonna leave here the same. This is a day where I'm gonna look, I'm gonna sound, I'm gonna act a little bit more like Jesus when I leave here today. I'm gonna to show someone his love that, Maybe it's one of those people that's actively working against you. Someone who says, you know what? I don't like you, I hate you, I despise you. You're gonna show them love anyways. Great bumper sticker, I love it. It says, love your enemies, it'll drive them nuts. Them. Show them the love of Jesus. It is greater than their hate. It's greater than anything that could come against you. So would you pray with me today, whether it's to receive Jesus or just to be more like Jesus. Let's just let him be the reason for our lives, amen? Amen. Father God, you are good. I thank you so much that that cross is not the end of the story. God, I thank you that, that you got off. You, 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 we were taken off that cross and put in a tomb, but you rose again, God. You conquered death. You gave us victory. You give us life. You give us hope. You give us everything we need, God. I thank you that this is the happiest of days that we get to come to you. And for anyone here, God, that doesn't know you, I pray, God, that they, they come to know you, that we admit that we, we sin. We look at the world. We, we look away from you at times. God, sometimes we act against you. We believe in who you are, though. We believe that your son died for us and rose from the dead, and we choose to follow you, God. I choose to give you my life today. God, for those of us who already know you, I pray that we leave here acting more like you. We show our, our friends, our neighbors, our family. We show them your love in ways maybe they haven't seen they haven't experienced. So God, we give you all that we are. We thank you for this wonderful, happy day. We love you, Jesus. And everybody said, amen.